Welcome to Frost Sessions, the Frost School of Music's official podcast. On this week's episode, our very own Dean Shelley Berg speaks with the CEO and president of the Adrian Arts Center for the Performing Arts in Miami, Johan Zeitzman. Together, they discuss the six keywords to develop the performing arts vision, the advantages of having virtual and live performances, and why local arts reviewers are the lifeblood of the community. Thank you for joining us, and remember to stay tuned to Frost Sessions. Hello, I'm Shelley Berg, and uh, this is Frost Sessions, and um, I'm very, very pleased uh, uh, to have Johann Zeitzman with me today, who is the president and CEO of the Adrian Arsch Center here in Miami, one of the most beautiful performance halls that, uh, that I've been in, and I've played in a lot of them. So, uh, Johan, welcome, and thank you for spending some time with me. Thank you, Shelley, and uh, thanks for in this invitation. I'm really looking forward to to talking to you. And, and you know, uh, during COVID, you and I haven't seen each other for a while, and I'm kind of missing our chat, so I'm looking forward to this. Me too, and uh, um, often we'd see each other because it was the R Center, and I was either uh, a patron or, or on the stage. And so... Uh, and, and very often the glue in between those two things as well. <laughs> yeah, you, you have such a great relationship with us, and, and I've, I've learned to really uh, enjoy that, Shelley. And, and uh, by the way, I, I agree. This is certainly one of the more beautiful uh, facilities and concert halls. Uh, beautiful, really a, a special place. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always loved playing there, and I love that our students have an opportunity to uh, perform in the hall not only go and hear things, but perform there and really learn what it's like to be in a first-rate, world-class concert hall. That's a big part of their education, as you know, and there'll be lots more to come, right? Well, you know, it's amazing how that kind of an experience in your student years uh, shape your future. Uh, as, a, as a student of architecture way back in South Africa, I was a French horn player in the local symphony orchestra, and so as a student, I had access to these kind of activities in the local performing arts center constantly and that's why i'm doing what i'm doing today and not and that's why i'm not an architect you know those experiences shape you and so your students are really having a wonderful opportunity to be as you say associated with a, a professional facility and and professional uh shows uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity it really is and i was going to ask this question later but since you mentioned that you have a degree in architecture um, I, I wonder, and I, this would have been a, maybe a good question later on, but we'll just start with it. Um, you know, how does that affect the way you see the world as a leader, the way you see, you know, leading in music? You know, uh, do you see uh, some correlations and benefits from having studied architecture? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, the years that I started architecture, which was in the 70s, um, the role of the architect was different than it is today. Uh, architects during those years were considered to be the representative of the client and the leader on the building site. And so you were supposed to satisfy the client's vision and, and needs and make sure a construction team executes th that. Uh, and so you really had to learn so many different skills more than just designing a building. Uh, and so we took courses in leadership, we took legal courses, we took courses in construction, technology, uh, and design. Um, but design was just one of, the, one of the courses. And so all of those other skills and courses that I took, you know, uh, are beautiful skills to have. And, and they've, they've, uh, they've certainly been part of my, the shaping of, of who I am and have helped me specifically as I was often involved in either starting or finishing or changing arts organizations with the building that we're housed in. You know, most performing arts centers are so not maybe defined, but certainly shaped by the facility and how it's designed and how it functions and how it does not function. Uh, and, uh, and that's a big part of our lives and you can't ignore it uh, if you're doing performing arts or running performing arts facilities. So even in that world, it's been very, very helpful over the years for me to have an understanding of how the facility works, what the options are that you have within the facility, how you could use it slightly more creatively, and if you want to change it, how to change it. Uh, and also to have 
meaningful discussions with my operations team as somebody who has some inkling about how buildings work um, has been incredibly useful. Uh, so, yeah, I would say, uh, I've said to many people over the years, if you are not sure what to recommend a student uh, to study, go and study architecture, uh, because you learn so many different skills uh, in, in that particular course. At least it was, it was true when I was a student. That's really interesting. And uh, Have you gotten any ideas about uh, the, the Art Center? I mean, it's a wonderful space, but are, have you thought about ways that you might use uh, some of the space differently? Uh, yes, I mean, I can't help myself. And so when I, when I go into a facility, I can immediately see what it was intended to do and how, and, you know, how well it was worked out to do those things. But I'm, and then I start looking for alternative ways to use spaces. Um, and, and, and also, you know, if we, if we wanted to do, um, uh, expand on what we do currently, how would that fit into the current facility or would it? Or do we need to make some changes? Um, you know, so I've only been actually in the facility for a year and then COVID came. This was going to be a year when some of those ideas may have taken a little bit more shape. Uh, but even last year, we spent quite a bit of time uh, shaping the plaza into a much more useful space than it was when I arrived by, by just adding some simple lighting and sound uh, installations, which now makes it a real easy plug and play venue for a whole variety of uh, um, activities that we want to want to do there. But there are other ideas too as, as time goes by. Um, and some of them does, do take time. Uh, but yeah, I can't help myself. Yeah, I was very impressed with what you did with the plaza. And not, of course, now with COVID, that, uh, that can come in handy, having an outdoor venue. Well, uh, you know, uh, now that the uh, emergency order has been lifted, uh, we are absolutely planning to have uh, live events, in-person events. In fact, this very day, we've, uh, we've sent out a press release about some of those uh, changes or, or uh, developments that's coming up. Uh, and so we'll be announcing pretty soon uh, some in-person events that will happen on the plaza and also happen around town, but specifically on the plaza uh, for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, it's a perfect space for us to dip our toe in this, in this world of emerging uh, into real life again uh, in a safer way than it might have been indoors. Uh, so somewhere in November, late October, November, we're going to start doing some in-person events. I will look forward to, uh, to coming and seeing that. That's, that's fantastic. So as you mentioned, you, you assume the role in 2018. Um, and then you, I know, did some listening and wanted to learn before um, just jumping in with a grand vision. But then you did lead the organization, the strategic plan. And, and uh, uh, I know that one part of it is something that, that uh, is called Arsht Connect. And so perhaps you'd like to talk about that and some other elements of, of the strategic plan and how, you know, what your stamp of leadership is going to be looking like for the R Center. Um, thank you, Shelley. Uh, my, I've, I've, I've been in very, operated in many different cities and different spaces. And I think over time, I've learned that the most efficient way uh, and the most successful way for for uh, me to exercise any kind of influence is to make sure that whatever it is I have in mind satisfies at least some of the community's desires uh, and, and not just my own ideas. Um, it, it's really important for me to always stay close to the to the Uber mission, which is that, you know, we serve a community. We, we serve the folks out there uh, and make their lives better, hopefully, make their lives more interesting, make their lives more creative by what we do. And we're not operating on an island. So that connection with the community remains important and has always been important for me as a leader uh, is, is to stay connected to that. So um, the, the theme of our five-year strategy, Arch Connect, uh, you know, does imply that connecting with our community has been a central theme. Uh, and I heard that as I was going around the county from north to south, east to west, and all, all the districts and did listening sessions. I heard that from the community. They had great pride for the center, and they, and they all articulated a very clear desire 
to have a deeper relationship with the center and to feel more connected to the center, even though they fully appreciated what we did. Sometimes some of them just said, we don't feel connected uh, as much yet. Uh, it's still a new center. You know, it's been around 15 years, but in the lifetime of centers, that's not a long time. So it takes a while. And Miami is such an incredibly unique community. And that was really at the bottom of my a desire to go around and begin to understand the community first and really hear where their passions lie and their aspirations lie. And so our strategy articulates some of what I think we heard from the community and, and, and the way that we think we can move the needle in that direction in the next five years. Uh, it has a lot to do with um, building deeper relationships. I always say we're not in the arts business, we're in the relationship business. Um, and I really believe that because the arts is a way of communicating uh, between, between communities, between peoples, between countries, between artists and audience. Um, and so it's all about that relationship um, and that connection. And so um, uh, that'll be a, a key focus is to find ways and very specifically to connect more and elevate more Miami local talent. Uh, and that's what I really enjoy about working with you is that it's all about that uh, and, and uh, feels like the perfect way uh, ahead. Uh, we're a presenting body. We're a presenting organization. We were designed to be a home for resident companies and, and, and present content that 99% are imported from somewhere, perform, and then go on, on the rest of the tour, which is wonderful and that really works well. Um, but it did make me think after I've heard the community is, what about Miami talent? Uh, not only are we exposing enough of it, are we connecting enough with it, but are we developing? Are we helping develop or elevating um, Miami talent? Because again, the example with Frost is a perfect example, I think, about how a, a, a performing arts center should act as a partner with that development process, that elevation process of the development of artists' careers. Uh, and, and I'm really eager for us to, 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 to be more a part of that process. And that inevitably leads to another piece of our strategy, which is adding to, you know, the, the large bulk of what we do is presenting, but beginning to add more and more producing to our, our, our blend. Uh, because that simply enables us to make local shows or help people make local shows, um, which is hard to do if you only um, uh, use uh, existing shows and you have to import it from New York or San Francisco or Chicago, wherever. Uh, but to make local shows, uh, to use local content, elevate it, make shows, and that means we become a producer or a co-producer. Uh, in, a, in a way that's a bit more significant than we have in the past. We've done some producing, as you know, yes. even with you, but uh, I, think, I think we can do more. Yeah, and it's been very exciting, the things that we produced together. And even before you came, we, we produced a, a show as part of the Jazzroot series that went on and was uh, toured the country and was in residence in, uh, at, in Las Vegas for a while. It was a Ray Charles uh, show. And so, um, you know, the British Invasion show that we did last year uh that could be a national touring show i mean it could it could, it could tour with other symphonies because it requires a symphony the way we did it um and it's exciting to think about those opportunities and you know in the time that i've been here uh, johan i got here, here in 2007 and i've watched obviously a revolution uh, uh the disruption of media in many ways, newspapers fighting to stay relevant and all of that. But a casualty of that has been local arts. You know, the Miami Herald, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it on record, they basically fired all of their, you know, mm -hmm. music staff, music reviewers. They, they would rather have a local reviewer review a movie, which those are the reviews you can get from anywhere because it's not a locally produced thing. But there wouldn't be a seraphic fire. There wouldn't be the, what the New World Symphony is today, and in many ways what we are today, without local media championing, uh, and, and on and on. Uh, Swainalo and the local groups that have done, done well because uh, they were championed by local media. How many car chases do we have to see and front door robberies on the local news before we start seeing some local artists? 
Uh, it all concerns me because we're all in this together and culture is a huge economic and uh, driver of a city. Well, you know, uh, at the very top of our uh, pyramid of direction for the future is, of course, our vision, um, which in my view is an articulation of where you want to end up if you do your mission well. If you do what you're supposed to do really well, you'll end up somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and our vision is articulated in six simple words. It says global impact, local connection, fearless creativity. And so what you just said uh, is articulated in my view about our desire to end up in a place where that is the space we live in, where we do have a global impact. Yes, that's important, but that we have a local connection at the same level, that it's equally important and that we are fearlessly creative. Uh, and so partnering with people like you and others, I think needs to form a stronger part of our future uh, to not just develop the ecosystem and the feeder system and the pipeline and all of that, but also to bring our audiences and hopefully our media to a point where talking about local, local culture is, is important, is valued, uh, is, is frequent, uh, is, is consumed by people. Uh, if you write an article about something local, people should read it. It should be of that quality. Um, and, and the absence of it just, erodes all that. Yes. And, you know, I think the visual arts in Miami are ahead of, at this time, the performing arts and, and music because of Art Basel and Arts Week and some of those things. Um, it's lended more visibility and credence to Miami artists. And I really believe the Art Center can play a fundamental role in making that true for music. Well, you know, we want to find more and more partners like you uh, to, uh, to make sure that we, that we go on that journey together. It won't always be easy. It won't always be successful, but that's the point. Somebody has to do these trial and errors. Somebody has to make these mistakes. Somebody has to be willing to carry that, carry that process and, uh, to its full fruition. And, uh, and I think we want to play a role in that. Well, as you know, I look forward to working with you um, and helping other organizations that, that would work with you. Because, um, um, you know, your mission also extends into connecting all those things into education and, to, and into young people. I'm sure that's a big part of the strategic plan. Well, it is. And that's, I have to tell you, that's one of the reasons why uh, coming to Miami was um, very attractive to me. Um, I've always been incredibly interested uh, in the answer to the so what question, you know, so you play Beethoven five well, so what? Mm -hmm. uh, what impact does that have? How does it change the, 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 the person listening to it or the community in which it's being performed? Does it make an impact on society somehow, in some way, shape or form? Does it make the world better? Um, and so the so what question is important and is answered very strongly through our uh, uh, arts education and community engagement programming. And that's one of the things that attracted me to the ARST is that education and engagement was part of the arts, ARST's DNA right from day one. This was not an afterthought. This isn't something that was developed so that people would come and buy tickets for a show. So we'll just, you know, do something for kids so that they can buy tickets. It's often an afterthought, um, at least in my experience. And, and to, to, to be at a place where right at its creation, that was important for everybody in the community and that they put their money where their mouths were for the last 15 years and delivered the great content that we already see is one of the reasons I was really attracted to play, to be here. And one of the things that give me great pride is to see how many thousands of young lives we, we touch and change and, and hopefully improve. No doubt that you improve it and it inspires um, a certain subset of those young people, a not, a not insignificant subset of those young people uh, to lead their lives a little differently when they grow up than they might have had they not come in contact and been enthralled by something or multiple things that the R Center presented to them. You know, uh, Shelley, I've, I've told this story to a few people, but many years ago, I, I, um, 
I, I moved to um, a, a black homeland uh, in South Africa, which is called Bobotatswana, and I lived in and worked in the, this very small rural Tswana town called Taum uh, to open and run a, a community cultural center. And um, uh, a, a young man, his name is Bodulo, came into the, in, into the space with two of his buddies. He was 18 years old. Uh, Bodulo was a typical product of of um, of this this Zulu, I mean Tswana village and the apartheid culture at the time. Um, he went to a very bad school by design. The, the school was bad by design. Bad teachers, bad all of that. Uh, uh, he his dad worked in a gold mine 300 miles away. His mom worked as a black servant in a white household 80 miles away. So he never saw his parents. He lived with his grandparents in a mud hut. So, you know, dysfunctional, difficult domestic situation, terrible education, bad role models, no role models. Uh, and so he had failed at grade 10 for three times. And he was just basically, I think, coming to this art center to you know, for an adventure to do something. It was up to no good. He didn't come to take lessons or anything. Make a long story short, he ended up playing the drums. And at the end of that year, he passed grade 10. And in grade 11, he was top of his class, class in mathematics. And in grade 12, he was the head boy of the school. I left the, 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 the center at that time to go and run a performing arts center in another city. Uh, but kept in touch with them. And Budulu went on to become a mathematics teacher at that same school. So just think about that story about he potentially could have become uh, a burden to society and to himself and his family by ending up in jail or something on the one trajectory. But because of an experience with the arts, he discovered something inside himself uh, that was always there. Um, but he had to unlock it himself. He had to discover it and believe in it. And now he's a role model for generation after generation of kids in that same little town. Um, I mean, that's a beautiful example of the power, the transformative power of the arts. And if you expose kids to such a meaningful artistic experience, it does change them. It, you never know who, who you're changing dramatically like that, but, but nobody leaves unchanged. That's a beautiful, thank you for relating that story because um, everybody who does what you and I do has some version of that story and then you 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 um contemplate the cumulative effect of that and whenever people try to cut arts and music out of schools it's they don't understand that a lot of the problems that we have in society uh would be less that's true if we were more committed to these things i i think to a degree i I've come to a through a difficult gate at some stage in my career where I realized I have to carry a burden of some of playing some role in in that in that problem uh, in in for a long time in our profession in the performing arts profession at least we we loved exclusivity we loved this idea that some people come to the symphony or to the ballet or to the opera and they dress and it's a lovely event and, and you know who's there and we see each other and it's a you know, special event. Um, and that sort of sense of exclusivity was, was great. We all enjoyed it, uh, to be honest. Uh, but I think we painted ourselves into a corner of exclusivity uh, over time. And, and I think most performing arts professionals now have come out of that thing and I've realized, oh my goodness, when you look around from that corner, there's nobody left. Uh, you know, all the other people that you left outside of this circle don't want anything to do with you or you're not meaningful in their lives. You're not relevant in their lives. And I, I thank goodness we all learned that lesson and have had to have that awakening. And I, and I think, um, I think that's, that's, that's an exciting development that the, the arts uh, and, and places like yours and mine are not seen or, or, or seen less as exclusive or, or, or um, you know, nice to have. Um, we still need to fight for, uh, you know, uh, our position in being a part of life and a really important, crucial part of life. But I think that sort of air of exclusivity over time has evaporated, I hope. Um, 
certainly at the ARST, we're working hard on, on anything like that uh, to make sure people understand what we do and what we, our language, this beautiful language of the arts is, is everybody's language. Um, a great writer, uh, her name is Azar Nafisi. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she, she talks about the Republic of Imagination. And she says, we are all, all born as cart carrying citizens of the Republic Imagination. This place has no borders. You don't need a passport. You can travel wherever you like in this Republic of Imagination. Um, and then life happens. Right. Whether it's school, whether it's parents, whether it's churches, whatever influences in our lives start chipping away and putting borders in place and, and, and telling us you can't do this, you can't do that. And, and slowly but surely we lose our citizenship in this Republic of Imagination and our world, this Republic becomes really tiny. Uh, and I think if there's any bigger purpose for the arts is to make sure that everybody, every school teacher, every medical doctor, every architect, every accountant has the most creative imagination possible. Because we need creative solutions, Shelley, for the future. We really need it. And where else would you get it from than from the arts? Beautifully, beautifully said. And, you know, um, I certainly live my life by those same ideals. And so uh, that's why we have the jobs that we have today and, and why it means so much to us. Right. So, um, I'm going to turn the conversation to the, uh, the, the world situation today. And, and uh, um, no matter, I mean, you've had amazing experiences in your life that prepared you for this time in your life. Um, but none of us could have ever imagined a global pandemic on the scale of what we're facing. And uh, I think in terms of, um, area of business and employment, nobody has been hit harder than those of us in the performing arts sector. Um, when you figure that you made it to the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra and you have one of the highest paid orchestra jobs for life uh, and getting to do what you always dreamed you would do and then one day on literally zero notice, it's, um, sorry, there is no Metropolitan Opera Orchestra right now. Um, and well, what about that rent that I pay in New York City and my children? And um, it, it's just it's just been that bad. Um, it's amazing how artists have coped. But uh, you know, for the Art Center, you are not a streaming platform. You're a performing arts venue where people come to experience that thing that you can only get in a concert hall. So I know it's been. Uh, very difficult, um, but I'm curious about, not so much to wallow in it, because <laughs> we can't do that. Uh, what is it teaching? What is it teaching us? What's it teaching the R Center? And, you know, what are the silver linings? Where, where are we going based on this experience? That's a great question. Um, wow. Um, I I, I, I'm thinking about how I phrase this so it doesn't sound too too much like a cliche, but I'm just going to say it the way I say it, uh, the way it's coming to my mind. And what I'm learning is 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 go back to basics. Um, that the very basics thing, uh, basic things that drive what we do uh, are still as important as they ever were. We are still human beings with human desires and needs. One of those needs is to be social, to gather, to, to share, to breathe together. Um, that's a basic human need. Uh, and that doesn't mean you have to satisfy that need by going to a concert hall. But you have to find a place where something is going to gather you with other human beings of all kinds in, and, 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 and throw you into a moment of a shared experience, whether that's a sports event or a symphony concert, that just elevates uh, you beyond the, the, yourself. It takes you out of yourself. It connects you with human beings of all types. In that moment, there's a special thing that happens with us as humans that distinguishes us from animals. 
Uh, and that need and that desire has not gone away. We still need all those things. And so I think, I, I truly think that people are consuming arts as much or even more during COVID than they did before. Because I don't think anybody goes through a day now sequestered wherever they are um, without listening to music or maybe reading a book or binging on a Netflix or, or something, looking at something streaming. Um, if I see how many people read our weekly updates on Arsht at Home, um, it just tells me that these are folks who are trying to fill a vacuum. Uh, I'd love to believe our content is super good and, and there's nothing better in the world and that's why they're watching it. And, and, and I am proud of what we put up there. But, but I think the bigger reason is we're filling a vacuum that they desperately need and, and they want to have a relationship with us which we've started uh, over the f 15 years that the Arst opened. They want to continue. They feel they own a piece of the Arst. And looking at a podcast or listening to a stream makes them feel like they're still part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, listening to you play your piano in and, and, and our living room, room live uh, uh, pieces uh, of music that you that you generously shared makes them feel like they own a piece of, 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 our, of our story and your story. Uh, and I think that human desire, the basics is still, artists still do what they've always done. They do it through different media, but they still, inspire us, challenge us, um, tell us about their future view. Artists are like canaries in the coal mine. They sense the future in a way that other people don't. And they comment on it in a way that we usually only understand after the fact. Uh, things like struggle theater or songs of freedom or songs of slavery. Those, those songs told us stuff that our souls understood. Um, at the time and changed the way we thought about suppression, about all kinds of social issues over time. And that's what artists do. And it's incredibly important to uphold what they do as important, whether they end up on a stage right, whether they can get to a stage or not, which is one of the reasons why we, you know, found funding to be able to commission 30 artists now to just tell a story, however short and simple, about art in the life in, in the time of coronavirus. And if you look at the the winners that we've posted on Arst at Home every week and, and just look at their story, it, it is so human, it's so powerful, it is so transformative, it is so inspiring. So the silver lining for me, Shelley, is uh, yeah, I'd love to get on the other side of COVID, but there is still an incredible need for the arts right now, maybe more than ever. And our artists and our arts community are still doing what they always do. They, they're, they're, they found ways to be creative and, and, and challenging and relevant despite the change in the media. Yeah, that's a, it's inspiring in its way, isn't it? Yeah. it Incredibly inspiring. I mean, they're so resourceful and so resilient that I sometimes wonder, I mean, I'm married to an artist, so the painting behind me was a, was as a painting by my wife. So I, I know how I live with the creative process. As a musician and an architect, I suppose I'm an artist, but nowhere near what a creative artist is, a creating artist. Uh, and, and I know what that life is like, and I know how it's not an easy life, it's a, but it's their language and their language inspires us. And I have so much respect and awe for that role of artist that I, I'll do everything I can for my community, our community, to feel a little bit of what I feel when I think about the arts and artists and, um, and how it can make your world better. It just does. We were able to do a symphony concert on campus um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, 24 socially distant strings uh, and some percussionists and uh, all wearing masks, nobody sharing a stand, uh, everybody distanced. Um, and our hall, which seats 600, uh, a full house right now is 75. That's all we're approved for. And so we had a full house. <laughs> we have we were packed to capacity of 75 people, but it felt like a full audience 
Nobody had been in a concert hall that was there, including the, the musicians, um, and experienced live music for over six months. And uh, the emotionality, the emotion, just the sense of how emotional that experience was, people crying at the first notes and just understanding again how much feeling the vibration in the room of all those souls making music together, how important that is. And, you know, all of us who do what we do hope that, that in some ways, live music has been made more valuable by its scarcity and that when we're able to bring back a schedule the audiences will embrace it. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, the one thing I've learned about crises, um, I, I always used to say never waste a good crisis. Um, uh, I've learned that crises force you to think creatively, think differently, and try new things, but it also accelerates underlying trends. And so the things that you were always trying to do, sometimes during a crisis gets accelerated. And in our case, we wanted to connect more with, with, with Miamians. We wanted to produce more uh, as part of our strategy. And we wanted to have an online, uh, uh, you know, strengthen our virtual relationship with people. All of those three things uh, happened in two weeks when, when COVID struck. We had to pivot from presenting on stage to, pr to producing online. There was no option. We had to do it. And so suddenly there we were connecting, producing, and being virtual, all three things that we knew we needed to get better at. Um, and so I'm glad we learned those lessons. But to your, to your question, I don't think it ever replaces live. It just doesn't. I'm not saying that when live comes back again, we'll stop doing all that. And I don't think the role that virtual plays will, will, will go away but it will become an, an enhancing part of the live. But the live is still uh, the unique moment, as you said, of, of, um, of, of breathing together with 2,000 other people in a very special moment, listening to whatever it is or experiencing the moment of a beautiful artistic creation. Um, and, and virtual just doesn't... The one thing I, I enjoy, uh, Shelley, and I was, I was a little shocked, I guess, surprised, by this is, is uh, I've participated as you have in a number of sort of Zoom concerts, um, Zoom performances or Zoom cocktails or whatever with an artist or two. I, I was I was kind of surprised by the sense of intimacy, mm -hmm. you know, of really getting close to the artist and them kind of being in my living room and me having a look into another audience member's living room and being that close and sort of intimate in a way that if you just sit on seat number F34, you don't really know anything about the person on F35, you know, they're just sitting there. Um, that intimacy in, 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 in these early Zoom uh, experiences was interesting to me. And I, I, I wonder how we learn something from that. That's a really great question because I think, um, Allude, you know, going back to what you alluded to earlier about um, how exclusive we've been in the past and almost built a wall between us and some of the audience. Um, some of what we're learning here must be usable for us to foster an even more intimate connection with the audience. And maybe we bring their smartphones into the experience sometimes and, and, uh, and that's part of a projection or part of something the artists interact with. I don't know, but, but I'll be interested to see the kinds of things that we might be doing based on what, we all know what we miss about not being in the concert hall, but what will we miss about not being uh, in that world? And, and uh, who knows, uh, something will come out of this. Uh, any opportunity to be more intimate with our audience, I think, uh, have them feel more a part of it it's going to build a stronger connection. I think on a more boring topic, uh, the one part about Zoom that I do appreciate is, um, you know, having a one-hour meeting takes one hour. Right. The before and the after of a physical meeting of having to drive somewhere, find parking, go into the meeting, drive back, 
uh, all of that falls away. Uh, if the meeting starts at two, you log in one minute before two, you know, and it happens and it starts and um, it feels efficient. Uh, I mean, I hate, I hate Zoom meetings. I really don't like them, uh, but they are time efficient uh, in a way that sometimes the physical world is not. And uh, the couple of boards that I'm involved with, um, the attendance is nearly perfect at a board meeting because nobody has to travel to get there. Exactly. And I can have an, a discussion with you or I can have a discussion with somebody like you in New York. And they don't have to fly here. We, I can have a workshop with a specialist in Chicago with my, with my team uh, just through Zoom. And they don't have to fly here. I don't have to put them up in a hotel. The scheduling is not a problem. I just need one hour of their time. And for, um, for our guests, artists, and guest lecturers, um, it opens up a whole other world because we're now more comfortable with they don't all have to be on campus with us, that so we can have a very robust experience with somebody that's not on campus with us. And so I think we'll, that's a part of, uh, of COVID and Zoom that we will take with us in the future. Um, yeah, I think we learned some things, but oh boy, I can't wait for this to end. <laughs> um, the, the time is going by quickly. And uh, I wanted to know if you had any comments about, you know, what it's like with, uh, what the relationship is like between a center like Arsh that's so uh, linked with, um, local government. Um, you know, I think that that funding, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, I don't know, state or local or county funding for our, you know, what's that, what, how does that navigate it? What's that like? That's a, a great and interesting question. And uh, I can tell you that in my career outside of South Africa, uh, I've run three uh, performing arts facilities, one in Mesa, Arizona, and one in Calgary in Canada, and now this one. Uh, I've run many others before that in South Africa, but in, in those three spaces, strangely enough, uh, the Mesa Art Center belongs to the city of Mesa. Mm -hmm. And so the staff members of the Mesa Art Center are city staffers. So I work there as a complete government staff member running an, uh, an art center and, and, and running the, I was sort of Michael Spring in Mesa. Mm -hmm. Uh, the director of arts and culture for the city, but also the executive director of the art center. Um, and then in Canada, uh, it was a typical, you know, 501c3, although that's not what they call them there, but it was a not-for-profit art center. Um, but in the context of Canada, where le levels of government do fund the arts significantly, as opposed to here. And now here, where, you know, the arched, it was built and funded and belongs to the county. So my experience has been basically with uh, arts or running arts organizations, which have a strong link to government mm -hmm. somehow in, in some way, shape or form. I can tell you, and I'm sure you would agree, we're incredibly fortunate in Miami-Dade County to have uh, a county cultural uh, you know, department, which is, truly spectacular and, and supportive and, and, and they get it. Uh, and and um, I haven't yet experienced a sense uh, of, of, uh, of, of any kind of a hindrance to our dreams or anything like that. Uh, to the contrary, it's all been incredibly supportive. And if, and if it wasn't for the county, it'd be very hard to get, get through COVID, uh, but it'd be very hard to, to run the Arts Centre full stop. Uh, because, you know, the philanthropy in this community isn't at the point where it can fully fund the full operational costs of a, a really large performing arts center like the Arst. So I'm finding the navigation of that uh, fairly, uh, I don't want to say easy, but certainly not, not a, 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 a diffi as difficult as some people think it could be, and I'm sure it can be, difficult if you're in the wrong place or don't have a good relationship with the government, but both in Mesa and Calgary and here, I've always felt that the, those three centers and their governing bodies involved in funding were incredibly supportive and were in supportive for the right reasons. They were not prescriptive. Uh, they were happy for us to do whatever we felt was the right thing to do and to support the mission. Um, 
I, I do know many, many of my colleagues around the country run centers that have almost no connection with the government. Uh, and I'm sure that comes with different freedoms, but it also comes with different challenges. Yes. I don't know, you, you have a similar kind of a hybrid situation in a way, right? Yes, we do. And, and you know, I, I think, I'll say this and I hope it's appropriate, but I think when you do great things and you make a community better, then everybody wants to help, you know, all the entities that are responsible for you and they, they want to help you. They want to be on your side. And so um, I think it, it all comes back to the core and, and delivering on your core ideals and mission. And then you find that um, it's in everyone's best interest to be helpful to you. So right. I think maybe that's the, that's the, the, the guiding principle that, that threads through all of these things. <laughs> you know, I think if you, uh, and, 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 and over, to, over, our, over the history of the arts, uh, in, uh, you know, over the ages, there have been many, many wonderful, great things that happened because the, the mission was entirely based on somebody's artistic vision and, and, and their freedom to do whatever they want to do and, and just go for it and not be restricted or beholden to anybody. Many, many beautiful things happen as a result of that model. Um, but if that's the model you want, and if you can only operate in that kind of model, you'll be very frustrated running a place like the Arsht. Uh, because you have stakeholders, uh, they, and they're important stakeholders, and they have viewpoints, and you have to accommodate them. But as you say, if, if, if you're not at that place, if you're in a place where you truly understand or feel strongly motivated by what your, con what, what your connection with your community is, and what you can do to make your community's lives better, if that's your perspective, then I think working with governing bodies is easier, um, because you should have the same agenda. Yeah, then they can also point to you as a point of pride of something that's working under their leadership. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's good. So in other words, we have to bring to the table our part of this for this to be a, a good relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, our time has sort of flown by. And so I just wonder if there's anything uh, else that you'd like to uh, sort of conclude with, uh, things that are on your mind or... or or prognostications or thoughts, hopes for the future. I'm just curious, uh, given a clean slate without me asking some sort of a question, you know, what you would say. Well, you know, uh, and, and I guess back to COVID uh, in a way, um, the thing that I'm thinking a lot about and that our industry is thinking about and, and, and my colleagues talk about a lot is what does what does coming back look like and feel like and and it's and 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 I mean beyond the obvious question which we all want answered is when is that uh, and I think we've all accepted there's no answer to that question until there is an answer so don't even go there but but what what where will our community be at that time where will they be in their psyche and their minds and their emotions where will they be financially? That's a really important thing to think about because we know most people are not financially where they were six months ago. Uh, where are they financially? Where are they in terms of their sense of security, their sense of social um, risk tolerance? Mm -hmm. um, and all those things that will shape whether they come out and what would make them come out and what would they want to come out for? Um, because we don't want to be tone deaf. We don't want to be doing uh, one kind of performance if they really want something else or if they need another, another kind of gathering or a different format of an experience. So the temptation to go back to business as usual is big. The temptation to go back to the good old days is huge. Um, but I think we have to understand and imagine what that entry point looks like and feels like so that we bring our community with us and, and sensitively respond to where they are um, and, and create a, a, you know overused phrase, a new normal. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I'm thinking about. I don't think I have 
clear answers, but we're, we're doing what we can through a, a number of survey processes that we've got going to test our uh, audience attitudes and to test their uh, risk tolerances, et cetera. Uh, but that's something I think about a lot, uh, 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 Shelley. What happened here to all of us during this time? Um, because we've changed. Um, our, our social interactions are different now. Yeah, this is going to have a long tail. There's no, there's no way that it, that it won't. Um, and I know for young people, people that we're teaching, their life will be altered by this just the same way as a young generation that goes off and fights in a war. Exactly. And there may be benefits to that. Um, you know, when you think of the generation we had after World War II, um, I have, I'm, I'm placing my bet on this young generation right now to, to understand what it means to come out of this and, to, and not to take for granted the opportunities that they have to make certainly our country a better place. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on that. I'm counting on COVID to help us deliver that result with the, with the people that I'm in contact with every day. I share your optimism and your excitement about what's gonna bubble out when we pull the cork. I, I, I agree. I think, I think uh, an incredible sense of um, a rebirth of a new life driven by different people uh, will be extremely excited to be part of my my reflection is just to be ready to be an enabler, an enabler at that time, rather than trying to pull people back to a, a, you know, business as usual. That's a great way to look at it, because that will take advantage of the opportunities presented by um, what's really driving and motivating people. And if we can do that, then we're going to have a brighter future. So thank you for that. I'm Shelley Byrne, the Dean of the Frost School of Music. This is Frost Sessions, and uh, Johan Seitzman, President and CEO of the Adrian R. Center for the Performing Arts. It's always a pleasure to be with you, whether it's over a meal or a concert, and, 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 and especially today to really uh, hear your wisdom and vision, which will continue to guide our R. Center uh, in a way that we can all be proud of. Thank you, Shelley. I can't wait to see you on stage again at the Arst. <laughs> and thank you for this. It was a wonderful discussion. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Okay. Take care. We'll look forward to next time. Cheers. <laughs>